0: This series was originally released as a Wondery Plus exclusive in 2021. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app to listen to Business Wars early and ad free. Justice for Ben and Jerry's. Justice for Ben and Jerry's. Get the doughboys' hands off our throats. April 1984 downtown Minneapolis. The morning rush hour is underway, and outside the entrance to Pillsbury's Marble and Glass headquarters, Jerry Greenfield is staging a one-man protest. As employees stream past, the Ben & Jerry's co-founder marches back and forth, waving a placard that asks, what's the doughboy afraid of? Justice for Ben & Jerry's. Pick on someone your own size, Pillsbury. Leave Ben & Jerry's alone. One curious Pillsbury employee approaches. Excuse me, I've seen you here all week and I'm wondering, uh, what's this about? Who is Ben and Jerry's? We're a small ice cream company in Vermont. Hagen dazs wants to stop us from being distributed in Boston. All we're asking for is a fair shot at reaching the American consumer. Here, take a leaflet. Also, check out today's Star Tribune. It's got a story about it. As the employee walks off, Jerry notices a gray-haired executive in a pinstripe suit getting out of a taxi. The executive's holding a copy of the Star Tribune, and he scowls the moment he sees Jerry. You! Why are you still here? Because Pillsbury's still trying to keep our ice cream out of stores. Hogwash. I checked with the Hagendas head office. They're not stopping you from getting another distributor. They just don't want your ice cream on the same trucks, which is completely reasonable. You're just after publicity. It's the principle. haagen doesn't own those trucks. Those distributors should be able to carry whatever ice cream they want. Besides, we're just two guys with 23 employees. Pillsbury's a $4 billion corporation. Tell me, why is the Doughboy so afraid of us? <laughs> the Doughboy isn't afraid of anyone. And why are you dragging him into this anyhow? He's got nothing to do with Haagen-Dazs. Haagen-Dazs is part of Pillsbury. The Doughboy is the face of Pillsbury. We're making sure people know who's behind this. The executive frowns. He hates seeing the company's giggling claymation mascot cast as some sort of malevolent mastermind. Huh. <laughs> well, enjoy your 15 minutes of fame, bud, because tomorrow your silly protest will be yesterday's news. Jerry smiles. He wants to get under Pillsbury's skin. A straight legal fight will bleed Ben and Jerry's coffers dry long before the case is resolved. The company's only hope is to shame Pillsbury into surrender. But time's running out fast. Hagendas is giving distributors three months to kick Ben & Jerry's off their trucks. And once that happens, Ben & Jerry's sales will melt under the heat. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know, with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know, kissing under the bridge of sighs guarantees eternal love because you're the long distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15, discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amx slash you know. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand-new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downing. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once-sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now, free, for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com bw or text bw to 500-500. That's audible.com slash bw. Or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In the last episode, Reuben Mattis created Haagen-Dazs and blazed the trail for gourmet ice cream. But when success spawned a flood of imitators, Mattis sold the brand to Pillsbury. Now, Haagen-Dazs is out to secure its market dominance by stopping upstarts like Ben & Jerry's from riding on its delivery trucks. This is Episode 3, Doughboys and Deadheads. May 1984. The Ropes and Gray Law Firm, Boston, Massachusetts. Antitrust lawyer Howie Fouguet leads Ben and Jerry's co-founder Ben Cohen to his office and opens the door. Excuse the mess. Inside, it's chaos. The bookshelves are overflowing. Precarious stacks of file folders cover every surface. Fouguet sits with his feet up on the desk. Ben spots the hole in Fouguet's shoe and grins. He imagined Fouguet would be a super-groomed corporate attorney to match his firm's prestigious reputation. Instead, he's found a man just as disinterested in maintaining appearances as he is. So, Ben, what do you want from me? Strong representation. Our publicity campaign alone isn't enough. We need to show Pillsbury we've got legal muscle, too. Well, I read the case notes, and I think I can help. Y- you think we can win? I'm hoping it won't get to court. If your campaign can keep up the pressure and I convince Pillsbury that they might lose in court, well, they'll probably decide the PR damage isn't worth the fight. But Hagendas is telling distributors to drop us by July 9th. If that happens, we're done. We're leveraged up to our eyeballs. We're about to build a new factory because we're expecting a big rise in sales. Then I'll look for a way to stop that. But first, we need to talk money. Case is interesting and you're smaller than most of our clients. So I'll do it for fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand? Our net income last year was only fifty-seven. Ben, you gotta ask yourself this. Is the money you'll save from hiring a less experienced attorney worth gambling your company's future on? Ben nods. Fouquet's right. This fight's too important to scrimp on. Besides what could be more Ben and Jerry's than an attorney with a hole in his shoe? Okay, fair point. $50,000 is. Fouquet moves quickly. He opens talks with Pillsbury and files a lawsuit accusing haagen of monopolistic behavior. Then, he begins pressing haagen not to interfere with Ben and Jerry's distribution until the lawsuit is resolved. But while the lawyers talk the deadline for distributors to drop Ben & Jerry's closes in. July 3rd, 1984, Boston, Massachusetts. In his cluttered office, Fouguet is on the phone with Pillsbury's lawyer. They've been haggling for weeks. Now, there's just six days left until haagen distributors must stop carrying Ben & Jerry's. But Pillsbury's lawyer isn't feeling the urgency. We need time to review your latest proposal. Uh, Tomorrow's the 4th of July, so most of the team's on vacation. Fugue frowns. Ben and Jerry's has no time to spare. Listen, I got a request for a restraining order right here. If we don't do a deal today, I will be dropping it off at the courthouse before I come into work on the 5th. Ben and Jerry's will be irreparably harmed if it loses distribution, so you know the court will grant it and that won't reflect well on Pillsbury when our case gets heard. All all right, all right. But today's tight. Look, you working tomorrow? No, it's Independence Day. I I need a little more time. Well, okay, I'll come in tomorrow. But at 11 a.m., I'm taking my kid to the Red Sox game no matter what. Now, if you miss that deadline, I file for the restraining order. You understand? Fouguet's hardball tactics work. The next morning... Pillsbury hastily signs a deal barring haagen from making its distributors drop Ben & Jerry's until the lawsuit is resolved. But in the rush, Pillsbury misses the chance to make Ben & Jerry's stop its anti-doughboy campaign. And that's a big oversight. With its distribution secure, Ben & Jerry's goes on the offensive. It changes its packaging to include a message alerting fans to its plight and urging them to write letters of protest to Pillsbury. It gives away what's-the-doughboy-afraid-of bumper stickers in its scoop shops and uses ads in Rolling Stone magazine to win support from people who've never even eaten their ice cream. Even the son of Pillsbury's chairman publicly sides with Ben & Jerry's. Faced with a grassroots backlash and the assaults on its wholesome mascot, Pillsbury buckles. It orders Hagondas to back off. In 1985, the two brands reach a settlement. Hagendas will stop trying to block distribution of Ben and Jerry's. In return, Ben and Jerry's will stop kicking the Doughboy. It's a big win for Ben and Jerry's, and the publicity generated by the campaign lifts its sales to ten million dollars a year. But for Hagondas, it's only a minor setback it still sells 12 times as much ice cream as Ben & Jerry's. It's also just taken Japan by storm and is about to launch its first dessert bars. And the settlement with Ben & Jerry's doesn't stop it from shutting other ice cream makers out of its distribution network. But the mighty Haagen-Dazs isn't Ben & Jerry's only enemy. Fall 1985, Burlington, Vermont. In a booth at the local Howard Johnson's restaurant, Ben Cohen is devouring his breakfast. Ever since his best pal Jerry Greenfield stepped back from the day-to-day work, he's been running the show at Ben and Jerry's. Cohen skewers the last of his bacon and eggs with his fork and wonders what this meeting's about. Sitting opposite him is Richie Smith, the man behind Fruisinglaja, the Haagen-Dazs copycat that's now America's number two super-premium ice cream. But Smith's saying nothing about why he invited Ben here. Instead, he's sharing wild stories from the front lines of New York City's ice cream trade. Ben looks up from his plate and tunes back into Smith's latest tale. That night, the tires on all their trucks got punctured. They stopped bootlegging our accounts pretty soon after that. Of course... In my father's day, we would have shot their horses. That's horrible. That's New York ice cream, Ben. Kill or be killed. Ben can't tell if Smith's telling the truth, but he senses an underlying message of no one gets the better of Richie Smith. Smith notices Ben's empty plate and smiles. Anyhow, enough of the past. I want to talk to you about the future. You heard I sold Fruising to Kraft, right? Yeah, for, what was it, $30 million? <laughs> so the papers say. But Glodge has peaked. It's never going to catch up with Haagen-Dazs. So I'm getting a head start on the next big thing. Which is? Ice cream like yours. With chunks, big flavors, and down-home American names. And that's why I bought Steve's. Ben Stiffens. Steve's is the Massachusetts scoop shop that pioneered mixing chunks into ice cream. It's now a small chain of franchised ice cream parlors. Smith leans toward Ben. I'm going to put Steve's ice cream into supermarkets across America and do to Ben and Jerry's what I did to Hagen dazs But this time, I won't be playing catch-up. Steve's will be nationwide before you can make it out of the Northeast. How? Why are you telling me this? Because there's an alternative scenario, Ben. One where we become partners. You give me 51% of Ben and Jerry's, and I'll take it coast to coast. But you have to decide. Right here, right now. Ben shakes his head. Richie, I've lived with my girlfriend for years, and we're still not married. We've been here all of 30 minutes, and you want to get hitched? No. No. My answer is no. Smith signals to the waitress for the check. Too bad. We could have done great things together. Just remember, I'm New York ice cream, so I take no prisoners. Check. As Smith leaves, Ben sits in the booth and stews. Smith has the money, the experience, and the contacts to take Steve's national fast. Ben knows that if Steve's goes nationwide first... Ben and Jerry's will look like the imitator. Ben wanted Ben and Jerry's to grow slowly, but Smith is forcing his hand. To survive, Ben and Jerry's must go national before Steve's hits the supermarkets. Early 1986, the headquarters of Dreyer's Grand Ice Cream, Oakland, California. In the conference room, a Dryer's executive in a suit listens as Ben & Jerry's sales chief, Rick Brown, asks for help. We're patching together a national network of distributors, and we need one in Southern California fast. This guy in New York is ripping us off, and he's about to launch in Los Angeles. So I'll just cut to the chase. Can we put our ice cream on your trucks? The Dryer's executive cuts in. What about Chicago, Seattle, Dallas? I'll worry about them after I get L.A. covered. Hold up. What do you know about Dryers? <laughs> uh, to be honest, not much. Uh, I know Dryers is the West Coast leading premium ice cream. And that's about it. Okay, I'm going to save you lots of work. We don't just make Dryers or ED's, as it's called east of the Rockies. We've got our own trucks all over the country delivering direct to stores, and where we don't, we've got independents carrying our product. You, you do? Yeah. We think we've got the best ice cream delivery system in America. haagen has the only one that comes close, and we've got space to spare. So, yeah, we can put you in L.A. and everywhere else, too. Brown's eyes light up. He figured he'd have to recruit hundreds of distributors to take Ben and Jerry's nationwide. Now, he can do it in a single deal. It also solves a big problem for dryers. Many of the supermarket's dryers supplies are growing unhappy with its inability to stock their freezers with a high-margin ice cream like Haagen-Dazs. And filling the empty spaces on their trucks with Ben & Jerry's can only deliver more profit. But while the deal makes sense, culturally, dryers and Ben & Jerry's are worlds apart. To Ben & Jerry's, dryers is the man a band of hard-charging MBAs hungry for profit. To Dryers, Ben & Jerry's are clueless kooks who only got this far by sheer luck. But the business benefits of their alliance easily compensate for the culture clash. In summer 1986, Dryers becomes Ben & Jerry's main distributor outside the Northeast. Within a month, Dryers has put Ben & Jerry's into another 10,000 stores. Ben & Jerry's sales doubled to $20 million, turning it into America's number three super-premium ice cream after Haagen-Dazs and Fruisengladbach. By the time Steve's launches, it's already miles behind. But its new owner, Richie Smith, is not giving up. Ben & Jerry's may be national, but most Americans still haven't heard of them. With Steve's shameless aping of Ben & Jerry's look and flavors... The Pretender could still convince enough people that it's the real deal and emerge victorious. Ben & Jerry's spends months trying to figure out how to separate itself from its near-identical copycat. But then, Jerry receives a postcard from two fans of the cult psychedelic rock band The Grateful Dead. It suggests they create a new flavor named after guitarist Jerry Garcia... It's an idea that's going to change everything. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. LinkedIn Jobs isn't just another job board. With a vast network of more than a billion professionals, it's the best place to hire. You'll get access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And if that sounds overwhelming, look, don't worry, it's not. LinkedIn Jobs makes the process easy and intuitive. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. If you're like me, hiring the best candidates for a job can often be about who you know, the connections you make. My favorite thing about LinkedIn Jobs is the ability to screen for the experience and qualities you're looking for and reach out directly, not waiting for the right person to come in over the transom, sifting through emails. It's actually fun to find people with the skills and backgrounds you need this way through LinkedIn Jobs. Often, you're making connections that help your business along the way. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash businesswars. You can thank me later. That's linkedin.com slash businesswars to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Spring, 1987. Ben and Jerry's headquarters, Burlington, Vermont. At his desk, Ben Cohen is checking plans to build a factory for making ice cream bars when his phone rings. Ben Cohen. Ben, I'm Hal Kant, attorney to the Grateful Dead. We need to talk about Cherry Garcia. Ben and Jerry's launched its frozen tribute to the Grateful Dead guitarist Jerry Garcia a few weeks ago. And it's selling fast. The Dead's loyal fans can't get enough of its sweet mix of vanilla ice cream, dark cherries, and chocolate flakes. Cherry Garcia's punny name also stands out in freezers full of ice cream flavors named after their ingredients. And... Best of all, because Ben and Jerry's can trademark the name Cherry Garcia, Steve's won't be able to clone it. But Kant's about to rain on the parade. Jerry Garcia doesn't normally let people use his name to promote products, but we'll consider it this time, provided you pay a royalty. Ben frowns. Don't see why I should. Jerry Garcia told me it's okay himself. He even called to say how much he likes the flavor. Uh, Did he sign anything? No. Good. Ben, I want you to go have a think. Then come back to me with a royalty figure. But Ben doesn't do that. Instead, he tries bypassing Kent by writing to Garcia. Soon after, Kent calls again. I saw your letter, Ben. What the hell? All that junk about the sickness of lawyers? Well, I got news for you. You're going to stop selling Cherry Garcia. Do you understand? Also, I'm giving your letter to my attorney so he can file a case against you for defamation. Ben's attempt to circumvent can backfires big time. Now, Ben and Jerry's new hit flavor faces a swift end. Fearing Ben might inflame the situation, Ben & Jerry's sends board member Jeff Furman to California to smooth things over. Over coffee, Furman convinces Kant that Ben & Jerry's shares the Grateful Dead's ideals. Kant settles for a 1.5% royalty that will go to good causes. With Cherry Garcia and Dreyer's distribution muscle behind it, Ben & Jerry's enters 1988 riding high. Steve's progress is stalled. Fruisingladja's in terminal decline thanks to Kraft's decision to boost profits by downgrading the ingredients. And with Fruisingladja fading fast, Ben & Jerry's is on track to become Haagen-Dazs' foremost rival. But Ben wants his company to do more than just make money. It's February 1988, and in a Vermont summer camp, Ben & Jerry's is holding a management retreat. In the log cabin dining room, managers sit in a semicircle as Ben Cohen shares his latest brainwave. I call it Peace Pops, a chocolate-coated ice cream bar that'll support 1% for peace, and it has to launch this summer. General Manager Chico Lager raises his hand. He joined Ben & Jerry's in 1982, And he'll be the one who has to make this idea happen. Ben, that's a tight schedule. But, well, first, what's 1% for peace? It's a really exciting campaign. The Department of Defense budget is $4.2 billion a year. Now imagine if 1% of that was, by law, spent on forging peace with the Soviet Union. That's what 1% for peace is fighting for. You want to sell an ice cream that supports defense cuts? Yeah, it'd be the perfect blend of great ideals, delicious ice cream, and good business. People will buy it just to support the cause. It could outsell haagen bars. By now, there's a visible divide in the room. Ben's supporters are eagerly nodding, but others look concerned. Lager speaks for the doubters. Stores might not want political ice cream, Ben. I don't see why not. It's time we used our success to make a difference in the world. Board member Jeff Furman cuts in. I agree. The risk of continuing the nuclear arms race far outweighs the risk to the business. One manager leaps to his feet. Easy for you to say. It's not your job on the line. And with that, the fault line between the company's practical and idealist factions cracks wide open. The room explodes into fiery arguments. But the opponents are fighting a lost cause. Ben's large stake in Ben & Jerry's means he calls the shots. And that means Peace Pops are happening. In summer 1988, Peace Pops launch. And they bomb. Weighing in at four ounces and costing almost as much as a pint, Peace Pops are both oversized and overpriced. They're badly made, too. The chocolate coating shatters after the first bite, and the ice cream's fluffy. The lack of promotional spending doesn't help either. After six months in freezers, sales are half what the company expected. Ben accuses managers of deliberately undermining peace pops. Managers pin the blame on the politics and rushed development. But then, letters start coming in from customers, praising the company for taking a stand. Instead of repelling its customers, Ben & Jerry's public stance is churning out loyal fans. Encouraged by the news that it's the product, not the politics, that caused the product to flounder, the team puts its differences aside. They hash out a new plan to bake activism into Ben & Jerry's DNA. November 1988. Bolton Valley Ski Resort, Vermont. In an indoor sports complex, 300 employees watch Ben Cohen, Jerry Greenfield, and General Manager Chico Lager come to the stage. Ben takes the mic. Ben and Jerry's is always given back to society, whether it's through free cone days, our charitable foundation, or the rule that no one earns more than five times the pay of the lowest earning employee. Today, we take the next step. From now on, Ben and Jerry's will have not one but three bottom lines. Logger takes the microphone. The first bottom line is the one you know, profit. Without profit, we can't afford to do good. Logger passes the mic to Jerry. The second bottom line is product. We have to make the best ice cream we can. Compromising on quality hurts us and our customers. Ben takes the mic again. Our third and final bottom line is our social mission. For some crazy reason, we're told contributing to society is something we can only do in our free time. At work, we must suspend our values. But what we can achieve together within a company is far greater than what we can do as 300 isolated individuals. We always have to strive to improve society. Profit, product, social mission. Those are our bottom lines and none is more important than the other. If delivering on product and social change requires us to make less profit, well, so be it. Ben smiles as the employees applaud. After years of soul-searching, he's found the company's North Star. Ben & Jerry's isn't just an ice cream company. It's a pioneer on a bold quest to harness the power of capitalism to further his ideals. Not that he's forsaking competition. Ben & Jerry's is now America's number two gourmet ice cream, with sales of $58 million. Haagen-Dazs might still be miles ahead, with U.S. sales of more than $250 million. But the gap is narrowing, and Ben's itching to get revenge on his old nemesis. On the next episode, Ben & Jerry's unleashes a cookie monster... Hagen dazs goes traveling, and a war of attrition breaks out in store freezers. Hey, Prime members, you can binge every episode of Business Wars ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. From Wondery, this is Episode 3 of haagen vs. Ben & Jerry's for Business Wars. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they are based on historical research. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Ben & Jerry's social responsibility work, check out Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield's book, Ben & Jerry's Double Dip. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Voice acting by Michelle Phillippe. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our associate producer is Kate Young. Our producer is Dave Schilling. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For wondering. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs and idealists behind them. Every week I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream. So he created Halo Top in his art